This is what the Huron River sounds like. What you can't hear are the toxic chemicals like PFAS that have contaminated the water. Toxic PFAS chemicals are linked to cancer and brain damage in children. These toxins have poisoned our water, making it dangerous to drink and unfishable. And State Representative Ryan Berman is making it worse. Berman voted to cut more than $21 million from the state's contaminated site cleanup fund. And the damage doesn't stop there. Just months ago, Berman sided with the big oil company that caused the largest inland oil spill in American history, voting to let them drill a pipeline under our waterways. Ryan Berman's record is toxic for Oakland County. Vote Julia Pulver for representative by November 3rd. Paid for with regulated funds by Michigan Leadership Committee PAC. Not authorized by any candidate. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. So today we're going to be talking... Um, a bit about recent events here. Unfortunately, there's no uh, there's 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 no shortage of events for us to talk about. Um, but on on September 18th, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, fondly known to uh, to many millennials and members of Gen Z as the notorious RBG, passed away due to complications from pancreatic cancer. Uh, Justice Ginsburg was respected and beloved by many young people. Um, not just because of when she won, but because of her courageous stances on, excuse me, not just because of when she wrote opinions uh, in the affirmative, but also because of her courageous stances on reproductive rights, gender equality, and gender justices. Her dissents were not just a place to express disagreement, but as a space for protest, to lay out arguments and logic that could potentially influence future court decisions and really society as a whole. Beyond being a devastating loss of a beloved individual and respected justice, the the loss of Justice Ginsburg uh, really also puts this country in an extremely perilous situation. Um, as as many of us might remember, following the death of Justice Antonin Scalia in February of 2016, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, flatly refused to even entertain or begin the confirmation process of then President Barack Obama's chosen nominee for the vacant seat on the Supreme Court. Again, this was in February of 2016. Now we are here in September, the end of September of 2020. Uh, At the time in 2016, Mitch McConnell said that uh, the nomination would take place too close to an election, 
Uh, and now here we are in September with Donald Trump in the Oval Office and that pretense is gone. Uh, many Senate Republicans, McConnell included, uh, Lindsey Graham included, uh, others as well who previously stated on record that they would refuse to confirm a nominee in 2020 uh, in an election year have already backfired, backtracked, excuse me, on their earlier statements. Um, and on Saturday, of course, Donald Trump nominated Amy Coner Coney Barrett to the open seat, uh, a, just, a, a, a judge who holds extremely conservative views on health care, reproductive rights, and more. Um, and again, one thing that's significantly different this year than four years ago is voting is already underway. Uh, we are not in February. We're in late September. Folks are casting ballots through early voting processes in multiple states right now, deciding who the next president of the United States will be. And the voters deserve a say in who makes this next Supreme Court appointment. Um, and, and I'll just say one last thing here before we open it up to our guests. Most notably and, and very importantly, there is a Supreme Court hearing on the Affordable Care Act, which Donald Trump has spent three and a half years unsuccessfully trying to repeal um, and rushing Barrett through the confirmation process could give Trump and McConnell the ability to overturn the ACA and take health care away from 23 million Americans remove protections for another 130 million Americans with pre-existing conditions. So on today's show, we want to focus on what exactly is at stake here with the Supreme Court vacancy, with a particular focus on the Affordable Care Act and on reproductive rights. So to discuss these topics and more, we are joined by Renee Bracey Sherman, the Executive Director of We Testify. Thank you for joining us, Renee. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we are also joined by Juan Ramiro Sarmiento, the media manager from Young Invincibles. Thanks for joining us, Juan Ramiro. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So so to, to go ahead and, and jump right in, um, Renee, can you tell us a little bit more about the work of We Testify and, and, and your role at the organization? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the founder and executive director of We Testify, which is an organization dedicated to the leadership and representation of people who have abortions. Um, we are working with uh, now over 70 abortion storytellers um, to share their stories and particularly highlighting um, all of the intersections of our lives and how um, race, class, gender identity, um, immigration status, disability, form being formerly incarcerated, all of those things impacts our abortion experiences, our abor ability to get an abortion or not get an abortion, um, and really changing the face of who's talking about abortion to make sure that it's actually matching the demographics of who has abortions every single day. So um, we're out here sharing our stories. Um, we're pushing back on the abortion splaining that the anti-abortion movement wants to spread about abortion, all the lies, and actually saying, no, we had abortions. Here's our experience. Listen to us. Um, we're the ones that you should be listening to when it comes to abortion. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And, you know, I, I think even hearing you uh, at a high level explain how individual factors and individual experiences impact experiences is, is, is incredibly powerful and look forward to talking more 
with you here about the work that you're doing and the the impact that um, that the Supreme Court potentially could have here. Um, and and Juan Ramiro, what what is the mission of Young Invincibles, and what are some of the policy um, and issue areas that that the YI team is focused on? Definitely, uh, Young Invincibles is a national advocacy organization that primarily focuses on advancing policies at the state and federal level that will improve the lives of young people ages 18 to 34. Um, the policy areas we work in are higher education, healthcare, workforce development, and civic engagement. Uh, when it comes to, to higher education, we focus on access and affordability, strengthening academic access, uh, academic success and support systems for students, and uplifting uh, and supporting historically black colleges and universities and minority-serving institutions. In, in healthcare, we focus on access, affordability, and coverage, um, and of course, health equity and mental health parity. Um, in the area of workforce development, YI focuses on expanding career pathways and workforce equity for young people. Um, and finally, we focus on increasing civic engagement among young adults by supporting policies to strengthen and expand voter education and engagement among the next generation of voters. Each year, YI develops our policy priorities based on a combination of research and statistics. Um, what we hear directly from young adults, inclu including our national and regional youth advisory boards and our knowledge of policy and politics in our five states. Uh, we have offices across the country, including California, Colorado, Texas, Illinois, and New York, plus our national headquarters in Washington, DC. Awesome. Thank you so much. We love working uh, with Young Invisibles and being partners um, on so many shared issue areas in this advocacy space. So we're excited to have you on the show. Um, before we get into everything else that's happening right now, um, when it comes to the Supreme Court, um, I do want to take a moment to reflect on the legacy of Justice Ginsburg. Um, you know, I, I felt like when uh, when we all got the news, it was such an awful, awful moment that we didn't get an opportunity to properly grieve for her and her contributions um, here. And I think it was, you know, something where it was it's uh, it's hard to to realize that um, her with her passing, we were unable to grieve. We had to all spring just immediately into action to making sure her legacy is carried on. Um, so, Renee, do you have any uh, anything you'd like to share about how you'll remember Justice Ginsburg uh, or which of her decisions or dissents really spoke to you? Yeah, I mean, man, the notorious RBG. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> like, what do you say for such a giant? I think um, I, I did get to hear her speak um, once uh, at an event, like, I think a year and a half ago. And it was really interesting to hear her mind on the way that she sees cases, um, the way that she, like, used um, all of the law. Like, there's so much intricacies in the law. Um, and I think it's really beautiful to see somebody hone their craft and be able to use that to further um, their, you know, the human rights and justice for others. I mean, obviously there are some shortcomings that she's had around racial justice, um, but I think, you know, overall she um, really tried to think about how she can do the most good for the most people. And one of her quotes that I really feel like I, um, 
live by and I, I try to do in my own work is, you know, when she asked, when she said, um, women belong in all places where decisions are being made. Um, I take that to my own work that I think people who have abortions uh, belong in all places where decisions are being made. Um, trans people belong in all places where decisions are being made. So um, it's really, really important that, um, you know, we, we continue that, um, that legacy she left behind. Yeah, thank you so much. And we're about to go to a commercial break here, but uh, y'all are listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, and we will be right back. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Um, so I want to welcome back our guests. Uh, today we have Renee Bracey Sherman um, from We Testify. Thanks again for joining us, Renee. Thank you. And also we have Juan Ramiro Sarmiento, the media manager from Young Invincibles. Thank you for joining us, Juan Ramiro. Of course, thank you. Yeah. So uh, Juan Ramiro, I want to come back to, to you here um, and talk a little bit more about uh, healthcare. I think it's obviously on the top of everybody's minds when it comes to um, the Supreme Court and next steps here. It's uh, obviously ever present um, in uh, what this Trump administ- what the Trump administration um, is trying to, to take away uh, from the American people exactly one week after the election. Uh, the court will take up President Trump's lawsuit to end the Affordable Care Act um, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, not not that we have forgotten <laughs> that part, but just to really underline it there in the middle of a pandemic, try to take uh, away uh, health care. Can you provide some more context um, on this lawsuit and its potential implications? Oh, absolutely. Um, so in what was an unprecedented move, the Department of Justice opted not to defend the federal law. And, and therefore, the Trump administration joined a lawsuit brought by Republican state attorneys general from Texas and 17 other states. And what is by far the most serious challenge to the decade old uh, healthcare law? Um, the case argues that after the 2017 uh, Republican controlled Congress lowered the individual mandate penalty to zero dollars, the penalty could no longer operate as a tax um, and therefore was unconstitutional. They also argue that the mandate is inseparable from the rest of the law. And if successful, it would uh, permanently end the Affordable Care Act. Uh, 23 million people would lose their health care coverage entirely. Millions of people beyond just those who rely on the law for health insurance in the marketplace would be impacted since the provisions in the ACA touch millions of Americans. We have over 130 million Americans who live with pre-existing conditions. Um, the Kaiser Family Foundation estimated that 54 million people um, have conditions serious enough that insurance would outright deny them coverage if the ACA were not in effect. Um, according to an analysis that they did in 2019. Today, uh, over 7 million Americans have contracted the COVID-19, the coronavirus, um, and those who become ill will have long-term health implications, which will make it challenging to find health insurance if the ACA is struck down. You know, we're we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and Americans who become ill and require treatment beyond just a test will have a very hard time covering those costs if they lack health insurance. The absence of the ACA would be catastrophic for millions of Americans. 
Um, all of this on top of the fact that the president has not offered a meaningful, substantive, or affordable alternative um, to the ACA. Yeah, can we can we just can we just highlight two of the points? Uh, they were you made you made a lot of points right there that are hugely powerful. I want to just highlight two of them quickly because they struck me. One is literally seven million Americans who contracted COVID because of this administration, that Donald Trump's failure to have any plan to respond to coronavirus and COVID now have a pre-existing condition and would be sort of doubly impacted. First from the failure to respond to COVID and now potentially from the the repeal of the ACA if successful through a Supreme Court um, decision here. And two, um, Donald Trump doesn't have a plan if he's successful to provide healthcare. There's literally no plan and we're still gonna be in the middle of a pandemic. It, like I'm not off base on those two. Like that's, that's those are two points you made, right? That is very correct. Uh, it is, they're very much salient. Uh, <laughs> the sea of issues and implications that we would have if the ACA were to be struck down. And, and that doesn't even take into consideration the fact that as a result of the pandemic, we find ourselves um, in a recession where millions of people have already lost their jobs and with them, um, their employer-sponsored um, health care coverage. And so that further exacerbates the situation. Um, worst, worst unemployment since the Great Depression which means tons of folks out of work and, as you just said, Juan Ramiro, importantly, without health insurance for many of them, mm-hmm. absent the ACA, right? That's correct. So I don't think that people always think of um, the ACA and healthcare as being something that's like a young people's issue. But I know that's something that like Young Invincibles was basically founded around um, like pushing back on, you know, um, healthcare is an issue for um, young people. So how have young people benefited from the Affordable Care Act? Well, one of the major benefits for young people was the ability to remain on their parents' health insurance plan until the age of 26. Prior to the ACA, one in three young adults were uninsured. Those who did not have access to employer coverage and were therefore forced to shop in the then unregulated individual market would rarely be able to find a plan that was both affordable and also cover key services young people need like mental health care or maternity care. The ACA changed that, cutting the uninsured rate in half and mandating that all plans sold through the official health insurance marketplace be comprehensive and include a core set of benefits. Protections for pre-existing conditions, of course, also benefited young adults. There's no age group that is not impacted by pre-existing conditions. Um, more robust, um, a more robust baseline health insurance plan, thanks to the essential health benefits delineated in the ACA that I mentioned before. That's something that really helped out um, young people along the way. Um, you know, despite progress made under the ACA, however, the insurance, the uninsurance rate among young adults remains higher than any other age demographic. And 10.4 million of 18 to uh, 34 year olds still lack affordable comprehensive insurance. And that's why we must continue to strengthen and expand the ACA. 
I, I like as you were saying all that I was having these flashbacks I graduated from college in 2009 so I graduated from college didn't have health care graduated into a recession uh, meant I was working I was waitressing obviously not a job that is as popular or I mean sorry as possible now during the middle of a pandemic it's not something that uh, people are able to do I'm just thinking about all the things that I was dealing with in 2009 graduating from college while there were no jobs and layering uh, a pandemic onto that and how I didn't have health insurance up until um, Obamacare was implemented, the Affordable Care Act was implemented, and I was able to get back on my parents' health insurance. And I'm thinking about how scary that must be for so many people to think about uh, potentially losing their health insurance here. Um, And I think we just have uh, about like a a minute left here until we have to go to our next commercial break. Um, But what happens if the case is decided in favor of the Trump administration? Well, um, a number of uh, possible outcomes could take place. You know, the, the three liberal judges will need to attract two conservative justices to secure the safety of the ACA and reject this case, uh, whether they are eight or nine justices. Um, uh, Chief Justice Roberts is likely to side with the liberal just- justices, as he has in previous ACA-related cases that have stronger arguments than this one does. And Justice Kavanaugh is the next likely swing voter. Um, his past opinion support um, severing the case when it comes to the, um, the question of the mandate. All right, I want to come back and pick this up. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I am Brent J. Cohen. Uh, we have here with us doing our, our remote Leslie Marshall show, um, two awesome guests talking uh, about what comes next with the Supreme Court um, and how young people uh, and their ability to essentially be in charge of their own health care and their own bodies um, is really at stake when it comes to what happens next with the Supreme Court. Um, we have uh Renee Bracey-Sherman, the executive director of We Testify, joining us. Renee, thanks for coming back with us. Hey, thanks for having me again. And also, we've got uh, Juan Romero Sarmiento from Young Invincibles. Thank you for being here with us, Juan Romero. Of course. Um, so I I, uh, I asked you a question um, just before the commercial break, and I want to make sure that I get to pick back up on the answer of what does happen um, if the uh, repeal of the Affordable Care Act, um, a Trump's lawsuit um, that he has coming up, <laughs> um, what happens if that case is decided in favor of the Trump administration? Well, a number of, th- uh, number of things could happen. Uh, the court could uh, strike down the ACA completely. Um, it could wipe away some of the provisions and leave some alone, um, or it could send the um, case uh, to the Fifth Circuit, essentially starting over, eventually making its way back to the Supreme Court in about a year or two, if there's a 4-4 tie, depending on where we are um, on the SCOTUS confirmation at that time. Got it. So, um, 
But this isn't the so. Thanks, Juan Romero, for that for that explanation. And certainly, one of the biggest and most immediate things that can happen right here is that decision. But we know that's also not the only thing that is that is on the line here. Um, that it's certainly healthcare and the Affordable Care Act, um, but also reproductive rights is sort of subset of or or a component of healthcare here that's incredibly important um, is also on the line. Renee, can you can you talk with us a bit about um, what what this change or potential change, I should say, in the Supreme Court makeup could mean for reproductive rights? Yeah, I mean, gosh, what doesn't it mean? Um, there's so much happening right now, and um, we definitely we had a case. Um, June Medical Services uh, that was decided in June, and a lot of people cheered because it spared abortion access another day, um, because Roberts sided with the more liberal judges um, in upholding the precedent of Whole Woman's Health v. Hellerstadt, which was the case um, in 2016 that we won that showed that it is an undue burden to try to shut down clinics um, throughout the state of Texas um, and, of course, across the country, making abortion a legal right but not actually accessible. But one of the things that Robert signaled was that he did think that Holman's Health v. Hellerstadt was incorrectly um, decided, but he still had to follow precedent. And so I think that giving them another conservative judge who's openly opposed to um, reproductive health rights and justice um, is really scary because that means that all they need is another case to head to the Supreme Court that could gut the right to an abortion um, or make it that states are able to not allow abortion clinics to uh, operate in their state. I think a lot of people are focused um, and scared, rightfully so, about overturning Roe. But we actually have to be realistic in that Roe v. Wade hasn't actually applied to everyone um, since it was decided. Um, we were talking about young people. Well, there's a lot of states that have parental involvement laws. That means that young people don't actually have the right to an abortion. They don't have the right to make that decision for themselves. They have to get a parent to either consent um, or at least be notified of their abortion. And that then means that young people who aren't ready to tell their parents or maybe are emancipated from their parents or as one of our storytellers, HK Gray, she's a storyteller with We Testify, her parents, um, one was incarcerated and one was homeless. So she actually couldn't have one of them consent. So it actually just creates all of these additional barriers. Um, and legality is important, of course, but that's not necessarily the reality. And I'd be remiss to note that today is the anniversary of the Hyde Amendment, which if folks don't know what that is, it is an amendment to our budget every year that restricts uh, funding for Medicaid and any um, public health insurance plans um, that people cannot use them to pay for their abortions. They can use their Medicaid insurance to pay for um, births. They can use it to pay for birth control. They can use it to pay for any gynecological exams, right? But they cannot use it to pay for their abortions. Um, and that has wide-ranging impacts, particularly on people of color, young people. Um, it impacts 
Medicaid as well, so disabled folks, like it really impacts so many people. Um, so the promise of Roe is not necessarily a guarantee. And if you think about it, to use another analogy, we all have the right to vote um, in most cases, um, but if there's no actual polling place in your community, is that really a right? Well, it's the same thing with abortion. You have the right, in theory, to an abortion, but if there are no clinics, if you have to go through ridiculous um, hoops, jump through all of those that are not based in medicine, that are just based on ideology and are designed to slow you down, do you really have access? Do you really truly have a right? Well, you don't. And so Roe is this the floor. It is something that it's really important and we need to keep it there because it keeps abortion legal, but we actually need to grow from that, right? Should, um, there was recently a piece in the New York Times that argued, why don't we just let Roe go, right? We can start from scratch. Here's the thing. They're not going to let us just start over and make an abortion utopia. That's not going to happen, right? Even under Democratic administrations, they've upheld the Hyde Amendment. They've, um, the ACA, you cannot, if you're enrolled in the ACA, you actually cannot use your insurance to pay for an abortion for the Stupak Amendment. So we actually have a lot that we need to fight for. And should abortion um, become criminalized again, that means that black and brown people are going to be prosecuted. They're going to be arrested. And that's already happening across the states, right? We're seeing people who are being um, arrested or um, and charged for miscarriages or trying to self-manage their own abortions. So again, abortion is legal, but poor folks, black and brown folks are being criminalized just for seeking abortion care. So that, I mean, there is so much uh, that you covered there. Um, and I think so much that's important to unpack the promise of Roe v. Wade uh, has never been realized for many people. Um, as you said, people living in rural areas, people with low incomes, uh, people of color have always struggled to access abortion care. Um, and it sounds like what you're saying is these individuals individuals have been most harmed uh, by recent attempts to also chip away at Roe. So it's it's I think it's probably still critical to fight for Roe and to consider uh, what more there is to lose should Roe be overturned. And I know that we're going into a commercial break in just a couple minutes here. Um, but I, I think that that's something that um, I, I want to, us to think about for uh, when we come back. And I I just, I feel like there's so much more that I want to discuss Can I add on that. Actually one quick thing too, yeah, I think it's really important for people to understand is that with the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, states used it to shut down abortion clinics for weeks, right? The, the reality of Roe not existing is here, and people need to understand that. Clinics in Texas were shut down for two weeks. Um, and we had abortion storytellers in We Testify who needed abortions and could not get them because of the shutdown. And so, again, this idea that, you know, the, the future of Roe or post-Roe society um, – 
that that is something that is far off or is going to happen after the court case is not true. It is happening now and people really need to get involved and fight back, get involved with your local abortion fund, right? Show up for the people you love who's had an abortion. Every single one of you listening to this loves someone who's had an abortion. We really need you on our side to make sure that we're able to get our abortions um, today, tomorrow, and in 10 years. I think that is so important. I think that is exactly right. Um, and I think that this issue, like so many issues um, that I think uh, have really um, finally gotten some of the attention that they deserve um, in 2020, have always been problems, um, have always been problems across the country. It's something that uh, the pandemic has exacerbated. It's something that the pandemic has really like scraped away um, and like sort of shown a spotlight on um, and allowed the news cycle to maybe pay a little bit more attention to occasionally. Um, and I, you know, I think it's a really important reminder. Um, but you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. We're going to come back and talk about more of what is at stake with the Supreme Court um, in just a few minutes. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we are talking today about the Supreme Court, the efforts by Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell to rush through a and confirm a new nominee, a new Supreme Court justice, and the implications that that could have on the Affordable Care Act, uh, people's health care generally, and specifically on people's reproductive rights. Um, so uh, joining us, uh, we're glad to welcome back Renee Bracey Sherman, the executive director of We Testify. Thanks for coming back with us, Renee. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Juan Ramiro Sarmiento, the media manager from Young Invincibles. Thanks for coming back, Juan Ramiro. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So I uh, before we, you know, before we sort of jump in further here on on how folks can get engaged and what they can do to get involved from home, it's that's been one of the themes that I think has come up as as you all have really beautifully laid out what's at stake here. Um, but Renee, I want to I want to ask you a question first. Um, it's just following on some of your comments in the last segment. Can you can you explain what it means when we say that abortion care or reproductive care is health care? Yeah, I mean, quite literally, you go to a doctor or a nurse for the care. But um, part of the reason we have to reinforce that is because um, abortion has been deemed such a, a political issue. Um, and that was actually intentional by the anti-abortion movement because um, they could no longer organize um, around school segregation and racism um, in the 80s. And so they wanted to galvanize the evangelicals around another issue. So um, they picked abortion because they knew that it was the same white supremacist base that wanted to be able to control um, people's families, their sexuality, um, their entire life path, um, and, con and use uh, racist 
views racist statements like um, the tropes like welfare queen or um, really xenophobic comments. So they they picked abortion as the issue, right? Um, and you'll notice that it it always tracks that um, anti-abortion folks seem to always be really quiet when we're organizing around Black Lives Matter um, or asking the president to condemn white supremacy. But I mean, if you're a white supremacist, you can't really condemn white supremacy. So what we're trying to there do is, is from, <laughs> right? Uh, you can't condemn what you are. Um, but what we're trying to do is remind people that um, it's actually not this divisive political issue, even though the IRS has determined it as a political issue, even though it's always part of a campaign, it's actually part of healthcare. And so either you believe that people should be able to have access to healthcare and determine that healthcare for themselves, or you don't. Um, and you believe that you should be able to stand in the way. Um, again, it's not it's not actually about whether or not you'd have an abortion yourself. It's about whether or not you would stand in the way of someone else's decision to. Um, and I just feel like not, I don't think you should stand in the way of someone else's uh, healthcare in general. Why is abortion in that way? And that it should be a conversation that someone is having, um, you know, with themselves and with ever, who, whomever they would like um, to engage, whether that's a medical provider, whether that's a friend, um, whether that's a doula, um, we really need to make sure that we're um, showing up um, and talking about this issue as it is a healthcare issue. And it is part of the full spectrum of reproductive health care from, um, you know, when you become pregnant, whether you continue the pregnancy or not, um, whether you need health um, treatment for your fibroids, whether you need a gynecological visit, um, whether you need trans health care, um, or, you know, you just need a, a wellness checkup. All of that is healthcare, and it needs to stay as part of that conversation. Thanks, Renee. I think, I think one of the remarkable, most remarkable parts of this conversation is something you mentioned just a second ago, which is it's the fact that anyone thinks that they have a right or the or or deserve to stand in the way or be in the middle of a conversation between a person and their healthcare provider when it comes to making healthcare decisions, regardless of what the nature of that healthcare decision is. Uh, and it's just, it's such a remarkable level of, uh, I don't know if it's entitlement's not the right word, uh, but it's just, it's, it's absolutely remarkable to hear you talk about how this is, of course, healthcare and the fact that this was sought to be, to be sort of disaggregated from healthcare based on white supremacy uh, and the history of that going back to the 80s, because you can no longer rally around school segregation, I think is eye-opening for a lot of folks who may not understand how this became a, a semi-separate conversation when right. it doesn't make any sense to be one. Well, and I also think it's really important for people to actually look at um, the folks who proclaim themselves as pro-life. Um, you know, they can be that personally for themselves. That's totally fine. But um, they don't get to make that decision for someone else. And also, they don't necessarily have a track record for showing up for black and brown people who want to have children. They were extremely silent as um, reports came out that the Trump administration um, has been denying health care to um, undocumented immigrants who are being held in um, immigration jails and miscarried, right? They were pregnant or they were forcing um, this 
so-called abortion reversal, which is an unproven treatment on uh, young minors who wanted abortions, but they would refuse to give them the abortions they wanted. And then, of course, earlier this month, there were the reports that um, there's a doctor in uh, an immigration jail in Georgia who has been performing hysterectomies, snatching the uteruses of Latinas in the jails. Like, that is their right to be able to have a child, and they are actually actively standing against it. So there's a, a question about if you are saying that you are pro-life, that actually means that you need to support people's full reproductive um, decisions, right? And honestly, all we're asking for is to be able to have the same reproductive freedom that Amy Coney Barrett and everyone else gets to exercise um, as she has, you know, she has her children. That's great. She's able to make that decision freely. So would we. And I think people forget that the majority of people who have abortions are parents, right? They want to be able to make a decision that's best for their family and to be able to care for the children that they already have. All we're asking for is that freedom. Absolutely. Thanks, Renee. So we're here with just over three minutes left. Um, folks for at home trying to think about how they can engage right now. Um, one step is you can go to Generation Progress's page. We have an action tool up, which allows you to easily email your senators and a handful of key senators to let them know that the people should decide who is nominating the next Supreme Court decision and deciding uh, through the election and that the next nominee shouldn't be considered until after inauguration. Uh, Juan Ramiro, quickly, is there anything that um, you would suggest folks can do to get involved? Well, you know, you you kind of just took the words out of my mouth regarding contacting your representatives and your senators. <laughs> Voters are concerned, but I think even more importantly, um, young people should continue to sign up, everyone, to sign up for health care. Um, open enrollment starts on October 15th, and right now um, we have a COVID emergency enrollment period which runs through December 15th. And so um, take the opportunity to sign up and, and continue to, to get covered. Um, I think that that is very important. Awesome. Thank you. And Renee, same, same question to you here. Uh, briefly, where, how folks can get engaged. Yeah, well, I think first um, you should start having conversations about abortion with your loved ones. Um, you'll start to realize how many people you love have had abortions. Of course, um, you know, call your senators uh, if you have one. I live in D.C., so I don't have one. So also push for D.C. statehood um, and get involved with your local abortion funds, um, you know, show up and rally and support the people in your life who've had abortions. Um, and then, of course, for those of you who are listening who've had abortions, know that, you know, we love you. We see you. And when you're ready to share your story, we, we testify we'll be here for you. Amazing. Thank you, Renee. And, and uh, plus one on, on DC statehood. Um, so that folks know where to find you on Twitter and um, organizations, Juan Ramiro, younginvincibles.org. Is that the right place where folks can find more information about Young Invincibles? That's correct. And they can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Young Invincibles. Awesome. And Renee, you're at wetestify.org? Absolutely. And of course, you can find us on all the socials um, at Abortion Stories on Twitter, and we testify on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to our guests, Juan Ramiro Sarmiento and Renee Bracey Sherman, our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our senior press associate, Emily Leach. Uh, I am Brent J. Cohen. My co-host is... Charlotte Hancock. 
And big thanks to all of our listeners out there. Make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at GenProgress. Uh, and of course, online, our website is genprogress.org. Um, and you can follow us individually. I'm at Brent J. Cohen. Um, and I'm at Charlottetan on Twitter. And also, I just, like, as Brent said, want to plug one more time. We do have a tool on genprogress.org that allows you to go and contact your senators right now. Uh, fill up those inboxes. Make sure they know um, the, how you feel about the Supreme Court nominee. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on our next Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Toxic chemicals have contaminated the Huron River, but Representative Ryan Berman voted to cut millions from the state's cleanup fund. Berman's record is toxic. Paid for with regulated funds by Michigan Leadership Committee PAC, not authorized by any candidate. This is what the Huron River sounds like. What you can't hear are the toxic chemicals like PFAS that have contaminated the water. Toxic PFAS chemicals are linked to cancer and brain damage in children. These toxins have poisoned our water, making it dangerous to drink and unfishable. And State Representative Ryan Berman is making it worse. Berman voted to cut more than $21 million from the state's contaminated site cleanup fund. And the damage doesn't stop there. Just months ago, Berman sided with the big oil company that caused the largest inland oil spill in American history voting to let them drill a pipeline under our waterways. Ryan Berman's record is toxic for Oakland County. Vote Julia Pulver for representative by November 3rd. Paid for with regulated funds by Michigan Leadership Committee PAC, not authorized by any candidate.